Hey everyone, Chris Lapardi here with my good friend Dan Cortine, and we are going to talk again on our podcast, Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Uh, it's going to be like most of our episodes, we're going to kind of dive in deep and uh, really get into our raw emotions and feelings on how things have been going since we lost our sons. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to deal specifically with the difference in the pain that we feel as the time goes on. So uh, Dan's a little further into this journey than I am, but we're each going to kind of talk about the pain and how it's evolved. I'm not going to say that the pain is gone, but it's evolved into different kinds of pain as the time goes on. And hopefully this will give some people some hope if you're dealing with grief or if you're wanting to help someone that is going through grief that you know, you'll be able to better support them. So with that, Dan, how you doing today, bud? Chris, I'm tired, buddy. School is whooping me. It's all good, but I am exhausted. I know, me too. It's been, it's crazy. Like, at the end of summer, I'm always like, man, I'm ready to get the kids back to school, get going again. And then, like, within a month or two, I'm like, can it be summer vacation again? Mm-hmm. You're, you're a normal <laughs> so, parent then. We hear that a lot. Yeah, so, um, well, you know what, Dan, since you're deeper into, um, you know, this difficult process of grief, I think we're good starting with you and you explaining kind of how the pain has evolved for you from when you first started, uh, you know, dealing with the loss of Jameson to where you're at now. And uh, I'll leave the floor to you. I might jump in and ask a couple questions here and there. Go from there. Absolutely. And yeah, Chris already said this hopefully will be a a very helpful episode for our fellow, fellow grieving fathers. Uh, we see posts like this all the time on the support groups that we're in of people at the various stages and how it sucks at different levels. And um, so, yeah, hopefully this just helps. I think the first thing that we need to say, Chris and I have said it numerous times, is that everybody's different. Um, there is no, there's no guidebook. There's no roadmap. There's no straight path from A to B. Uh, everybody is different and everybody has different relationships with their loved ones that they've lost. Everyone has different memories, uh, different lack of memories. Uh, it's just, everybody's different. So we got to keep that in mind as we're discussing that this is what I'm experiencing and this is what Chris is experiencing. And hopefully we say a few things that people can connect to that will help them. Uh, I think for me, the quickest summary that we just talked about it the other night on one of the grief groups is that year one was the shock of everything. Um, it was just pure, intense pain all day, every day. Um, just learning to live without Jameson, learning to live life with Erica and try to be a husband, learning to live life with Reese and be a dad, learning to live a life without Jameson, um, still trying to go to work and be an effective teacher, uh, trying to be a good role model for my students, and realizing that just every day was pure torture. And it took every ounce of energy to get through the day. Year two... um, Year two was when it set in that it flipped from the the rawness of everything to 
for me, that's where the memory part really kicked in, that uh, thinking back to the, the great memories that we had for nine years and how awesome those would be or how awesome they were, but then immediately flipping to, ah, won't have that memory again, won't have that new memory to create. And I know for Erica and me, we had an extra layer of um, regret, whatever the word right word is, that we had just moved to the mountains um, so eight, seven, eight months before Jameson passed, and we we were so excited about our new perfect life and, and being close to Grandpa and tubing down the Davidson River and all these hikes and Jameson playing Little League, uh, just all these plans that we had that were taken from us so suddenly. And so it was, year two was not the intense pain from the shock, but it was the... Um, just the memory part of things that still hurt consistently, uh, lots and lots of tears. And then for me, year three has been much, I guess, calmer. There's not, I'm, I'm, I've just, I'm used to it now, I guess, is the best way to say it, that I'm used to not having Jameson here and doing things without and it's just part of our life that we know that we're going to do everything and it's going to be an incomplete family. Um, there's, but everything we do, we, we have a good time as a family. And it, it never fails that no matter what we're doing together as a family, we will do something that makes us have fun, laugh, whatever. And then immediately the guilt comes of, how can I be laughing without Jameson here? How can I be having fun without Jameson here? I should be more upset that I lost my son. So it just, it's that back and forth, back and forth of a good family moment to the regretful lack of a memory being created, a full memory being created. So that in a summary is my three years. So, uh, Dan, you said something that was interesting to me in the sense that I think I felt that too, but I didn't really realize until you said it, that um, you said you've, you've gotten used to Jameson not being there with you. And I feel like to a degree, you know, I'm only at a year and a half right now. I still think about mason every single day but it's it's like a new norm you know the new norm the new family dynamic everything has shifted and i wonder if you're like me at all i know i've felt the guilt a couple times because i'm like wow this is our new norm and i you know i'm not thinking about mason at that one moment and then it falls into my head like i should you know why I can't believe I'm even acting like this is normal because it's not. I wonder if you felt that at all. Absolutely. Um, every day, every single day. If I, there's, as we go on, as I go on more and more, it's, it's becoming more commonplace that 
I don't think of Jameson first thing when I wake up and I don't think of him when I first go to work, whatever. And it's later and later in the day where something will hit me and right away it flips into that shock of what a lousy father and person I am that it took me eight hours to think of my boy today. And so that, I mean, that's what it is. We're used to it. So we're, we're back to our new normal now where we're still, we're getting up from work, we're going to work, we're doing our job. And at some point, Jameson's going to creep into my mind and it's going to hit me at that moment. And then it's going to, it's going to leave my mind a lot quicker than it used to, but it's still awful. Um, so yeah, it happens to me all the time. And I want to stress, again, I'm we're all used to going to the dentist every six months or every year. We're used to going to the doctor every year too. It still sucks. All right, just because we're used to it doesn't mean that we're good. Doesn't mean that it's a happy thing that we've moved on and all that. So again, people... People think a lot of times, yeah, why are you still so upset about it? And again, this is going to be forever. It's our child. Yeah, you, you say something in, uh, popped out to me. Someone said to me yesterday, actually, like, I know everything you've been through, but, you know, you come to work and you got a smile on your face and, you know, you're trying to, um, you know, just be as happy as you can. And, I, you know, I was very honest. I'm like, hey. A lot of times it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, my fake face to get through the day. It's not, I'm not feeling great about it, you know? So, um, but I appreciate that at least my fake face is working. Cause sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. to be a good professional, you got to have that fake face on. And, you know, I'm very open about going to counseling and all that other stuff with my team, but at the same sense, like, you know, it doesn't make it any easier. Like you said. Yeah. We've talked numerous times about, fake interactions with people and yep I still have my fake face around 95% of the people that I come in contact with because I just don't have the energy to to talk about whatever it is that they're going to get into um, but I do have a couple people at work who still understand it very well that it's still real it's still raw and they're very good of letting me be open and real where I, I do tell them, like, eh, I'm okay. And we'll have that talk again about okay for us is a whole lot different than okay for most people. All right. And that still drives me crazy if I say it to somebody that I'm not as close to and they're like, oh, that's great. No, it's not. <laughs> and that I shut that conversation down and walk away because I just don't have the energy or desire to do it. Um, but I think my one of the people that I'm I'm very comfortable talking with. Uh, she a couple weeks ago when we were having that exact discussion, she said, "You're stable." It's like, yeah, I I like that word because yeah, I'm not having the breakdowns today. So yeah, I'm I'm stable today. I I can come to work. We go to work because we have to. We still have a family we have to provide for. If uh, if one of our listeners is a millionaire billionaire, send us both a couple million that we can live off. 
I think we'd both take you up on that so that we can not have to do the daily grind. Uh, but we have families that we have to take care of, so we put on our fake face and we go do our job. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo that. Any millionaire listeners want to hook us up? I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> um, this is kind of off topic a little bit. Not much, but, and I think we might, we've maybe planned on talking about this or I've, I've thought about it, um, but it kind of goes into this. We got the holidays coming up. You've been through a couple holidays now. How has the pain been different on the different holidays from year one to year two? And I know you're going into year three now with some of the big holidays. I, for me, the first holiday, the first of everything was terrible. Uh, Just, we had the conversation, I think most grieving people do that, do we even bother setting up the Christmas tree this year? And whatever whatever the holiday is, um, we chose to do them because, again, we have other kids. We have Reese. You have your three boys. Uh, and we, we, we've got to try to give them a normal life as much as possible and make it good for them. And so the first holiday, the first of everyone, was really hard. The second one, again, was similar in that it, it went back to the memories and just the the sad. It wasn't pain, but it was the sadness that, yeah, I mean, you look, we look at our Christmas tree last year, and it, it was so pathetic because we had half the presents there. It just looked so empty, and I hated that, and... So it was just, again, sadness about the memory. But it's shifted now into uh, um, an anger. I'm actually, I think, generally more angry at holidays now because, uh, and I don't remember if Chris and I talked about this on recording or just privately, but looking at everybody else, post their pictures of how happy they are on their holidays and and Chris and I being Christians and and feeling blessed everybody's like oh I'm so blessed I'm so blessed and I'm like why does God hate me and because I'm not feeling blessed anymore and so a lot of anger has set in that happy father's day it's like nope probably never again and birthdays, just everything. I'm just, I'm mad that other people who absolutely should be celebrating with their families. And realistically, I'm not, I'm not mad at the, I'm not mad at people. I'm mad at the situations. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, you know, a lot of times we don't mean to take that anger out in that way. And I think, for me, at least, I've been pretty good at not directing my anger at other people. But you are still angry at the situation. And for me, I think I'm more angry of the future lost. You know, like like you said, those future memories. Uh, I know I've said before how good of an athlete Mason was and how I really think he had, even at his young age, you know, when you're a seven-year-old kid and you're keeping up with 10, 11, 12-year-olds at your sport, you got something special there. And that was Mason. And to know, like, 
you know, I thought he could have went really far and had an amazing, you know, just life. And just to think of the what ifs, I think that's what makes me angry, not having those to actually play out now. That's what hurts the most. So, yeah, I agree with that. I baseball season crushes me because Jamison had that that awesome summer right before we moved, and it just he wasn't awesome. He was never going to play in college, pros, anything. But man, he was going to have so much fun being in little league out here yeah, in the I, mountains. I I think you know seeing the smile on their faces that's that was the best part really you know that was that was probably more of a dream for me than it was for mason like him going really far with sports but i knew he loved it and he had fun and he enjoyed the heck out of it and was a great teammate and everyone loved playing with him so it just kind of makes that whole kind of situation worse in that sense but well Dan, anything else you want to add with kind of how the pain has changed for you over the time? No, go ahead and share your side, and uh, yeah, we'll just keep talking as you go. Okay, yeah, for me, um, very similar. You know, I'm only at a year and a half uh, since we've lost Mason, but I can clearly see how it's shifted. The pain has shifted from from the extremeness at the beginning the rawness, the crying. Uh, I would say the first month I cried for hours every single day. Um, I just couldn't keep it together for anything. Any little thing, I would I would bawl my eyes out. And it was, it was extremely difficult. And <clears throat> as the time has gone on, and, you know, I, they say time heals all wounds. This isn't a wound that's ever going to be healed. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, and Dan, you've talked about the rock in the pocket, you know, uh, over time as it wears away more and more, it, it becomes more bearable. Uh, I think that's kind of where, where I'm slowly getting to, you know, I'm nowhere near down the road. Um, I think I'll be, but I'm not as bad as that first day or first month. Um, you know, the first year was definitely hard. I went from probably crying for hours every single day for the first month or two to crying, I don't know, an hour a day for the next four months to slowly maybe just crying a couple minutes. And then, um, you know, there was a point I couldn't even look at pictures. It was so hard to now I want to look at pictures. And now I look at pictures all day of, you know, I have pictures all over my office at work of all my boys and Amanda and, Mason is right in there with all those. And um, so the pain is different because every time I look at the picture, I think about the moment and how much fun it was. And then I think about the fact that he's not there anymore. So um, now that I'm getting closer to year two, we're getting close to next month will be our second birthday without Mason, his second birthday since he'd be turning nine now. Um, so I'm anxious about it, I guess. I, I don't know if that anxious will ever go away. Um, it's not as intense, though, because I've gone through one. Like you said, the first year was the hardest, going through all the firsts, the first birthday and all the other ones. Now that we've been through one, you know, the first year, 
for Mason's birthday, we had a huge party for him, even though he was gone. Like, I just, we wanted to do it. We wanted to celebrate him. And, you know, this year, I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to, um, I'm just going to stay home from work that day and just be us family together. I think that's what we're going to do. And uh, as I've gone now, getting closer to year two, I'm, I'm able to focus more at work and get work done. Um, it doesn't consume me all day long, uh, but there are definitely moments where it does consume me for the moment. Um, yeah, just the other day I was outside with Amanda and Carson, our little guy, and he was playing on one of his toys and Amanda made these, um, kind of like keychains, but they hang in your window at, of your vehicle. She made them of Mason, one in her van and one in my truck. And I was just sitting there looking at the pictures and just thinking like, you know, kind of those those lost moments. Like, what would we be doing right now if Mason was here? I know Carson would be playing with him because Carson was hooked to his, you know, hip for everything. So mm -hmm. just the sadness and the anger at the same time of what we lost by not having him. I think that's what hurts the most. And it kind of, it still gets me often thinking about, I don't know how my life is better with him gone. You know, there's no, I don't understand God's plan. I think that that hurts a lot. We've talked about religion a lot on this and I don't, I'm not, I'm not angrier at God. I still believe in God. I just don't get it. And I think that's the hardest part is not getting it because I'm like, what the heck? I did everything I was supposed to believe in you, do my best to not sin. Now I'm not saying I'm, I'm a saint. I'm not, I make lots of mistakes, but compared to some people in this world, I thought I was doing okay, to be honest. And, uh, I think there's, there's that aspect of pain that has evolved over time as well. You know, not only just the pain of losing Mason, but, the pain in my faith of how did this happen to me? How did this happen to my friend? You know, how did this happen to us? Why, why would this happen? And, and that's another thing I kind of grapple with. So, um, for those that are listening, if you're going through grief and you, this is brand new to you and you're just learning to deal with it, uh, Dan and I are going to sugarcoat it and try and say, it's going to be easy this first year. It's going to be hard. Lean on those people that you trust. Get help. Don't do this alone. Uh, those those are the things that got me through the first year. And uh, they're continuing to help me get through the second year as well. And uh, I know it's not the same for everyone. Everyone's going to be a little different. But there are people that I've talked to that have come to peace with losing their child. You know, they're still sad. They miss their children greatly. But they live a happy life. And it gives me that hope that I'll get to that point one day. I'm not there now, but maybe one day I'll get to that point where every time I think about Mason, I don't think about the hospital and all the bad stuff. I just think about the good stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at now with everything. Yeah, I like the phrase you use. We're, we keep it together. As time goes on, we learn that we can, we're better at keeping it together. Uh, so we can function at work. We can function at home and do the dishes or whatever. Um, it the grief isn't all consuming as we as we move on. Every day we're 
a micromillimeter closer to something, whatever that something is. And yeah, I still don't see a future of happiness in any way, uh, but there are people who are much farther down this road than we are that say, yeah, um, I'm happy again. And I just, I'm not there yet. Because um, it's always, it's always going to be minus one. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out too that there's no set timetable for everyone. If you're listening, like my timetable is going to be different from Dan's and his timetable is going to be different from the next person. And it, it's really how you process it and how you feel. And we're just kind of here telling you how we feel so that you understand that you're not alone. There's people you can talk to people you can get help from. Um, but don't think like there's some timetable like, Oh, well, Dan was, able to go back to work this month and Chris was able to go back to work at this month and I'm not ready or, you know, there's no set timetable. You do what feels best for you to get you through the day. Yeah, that, that makes me think of some of the people that I've read posts from in our grief groups and all that. And I had to leave when, when Jameson first passed and we were, we were looking for anything, anywhere that could help us deal with what we were going through and, and learn and grow and everything. And there's a lot of grief groups out there that are the woe is me stories, and which is natural. That makes sense. But a lot of them were, I'm 20 years in and I still can't get out of bed. I'm still crying hysterically every day. Those, I had to leave those groups because that just, like, there's no hope there. I mean, you're 20 years in and you're still feeling like I feel an hour after we left the hospital. Like, whoa, that's not helpful. And as I processed it more, I feel so badly for those people that they don't have the network, the tools, the resources, whatever it is, uh, to find help. And again, it's never it's never going to cure it. But if you if after five years, ten years, what's the right amount of time? Who knows? But after a significant amount of time like that, if you're not anywhere closer to mediocrity, I guess. I, I just can't picture, I just can't picture that, so. Yeah, I would agree. That's uh, that's some pretty intense grief if 20 years later you're still acting like, not acting, but if you're still feeling that pain that you felt on the first day, um, you know, that might be some need for professional help for sure. Uh, again, do what's best for you. Do it, do what's going to make you feel better. Um, I think for me, what I think in my mind is that my son would not want me to be so miserable that I couldn't even get out of bed 20 years from now. You know, like I don't think Mason would want that for me because that's just not who Mason was. And I think for me, 
in my mind, I tell myself, Mason wouldn't want you to just do nothing. Go do something. You know, go be productive. Go, go, go be with his brothers or go just do something. Be happy. He wouldn't want me to be miserable. And I think for me, that's what helps me. I don't know if that ever helps you at all or anyone else, if that's how you think about it. It helps me through the day, though, a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a debate in the grief world about do we flaunt our child's name? Do we keep saying it? Are we are we just like sticking it out there everywhere and bragging kind of thing versus the mindset of if you were really hurting, why would you be talking so publicly about your kid? Um, and for me, I haven't had people say it to me, but I, I've had a few people that I have the feeling they're thinking it that, man, if you were really hurting that much, you wouldn't be doing Jameson's joy. You'd be hurting a lot more and you sure seem to be pushing Jameson's joy out there and enjoying it a lot. And, um, no, I don't enjoy Jameson's joy one bit. I wish it didn't exist, but that is one of the reasons why I'm not in the intense pain that I was in year one, because Jameson's joy for me is an outlet to deal with my hurt. And every time that somebody mentions Jameson's name, it makes my heart smile for that moment. Every time somebody does something kind in Jameson's name, it makes my heart smile for that moment. Um, it's just the, the ninja event we had a few weeks ago, um, seeing 300 people come out to celebrate Jameson was very touching. It didn't heal anything, but for that three-hour period, I, ha I actually had some joy knowing that people cared and hearing my son's name put in a positive light and, yeah, hoping that down the road, even from death, that he can change the world for, for the better. And I've talked about that in, my, in a men's group I'm in, and it's one of those things, as a Christian, we talk a lot that, what is, yeah, what is God's plan? Um, we, don't, we don't know what his plan is. And, and for me, I felt like when we moved out here, I was closer to God. I had the best relationship with God than I've ever had, and I really felt things were good. Jameson was doing great in church and, and really excited about learning more about God. And it's like, yes, everything's going really well and then well that God allowed that plan to change and yeah like why um and we talk in our men's group about we won't we very possibly won't see the reason why this is happening to us but hopefully while we're here we can make a positive difference for Jameson and it does not mean for one second that I'm not hurting but it gives me moments of joy. And I I do things like I'm volunteer for the Transylvania Little League because it helps me feel connected. Like Chris just said, we do something. We 
I'm doing anything I can that helps me feel connected to Jameson, connected to the things that he enjoys, and that lets me say his name and lets other people say his name in good ways. Yeah, I mean, Dan, you really kind of set the tone. I mean, you've you've given me hope and what I what I want to do for Mason and kind of keeping the memory alive, really, right? That's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, you want Jameson's memory to keep going, just like I want Mason's memory to keep going. And foundation is a great way to do it. I think Dan's 100% right. Like, listen, we're both good guys, but I'm, I'm not such a good guy that I was like, oh, I need to start a nonprofit because this is a my calling, you know, that's never who I was, you know, uh, it was, Hey, I really want to keep my son's memory alive. And this is a good way to do it. And maybe brighten someone else's day. That's not able to do something, you know? So I think, I hope people don't get that confused. Like we are in no means flaunting the death of our children. I had someone mention to me, um, a trusted mentor that I, I still trust him. And I, I don't, I don't, it's okay that he said this to me because we're very open and honest, but he said like, Hey, do you think you're, you're, I understand you're sad. I totally get it. But do you think because you post all your runs with a picture of Mason that it's making your sadness worse? And I had to kind of sit there and think about it for a little while. I didn't, I didn't answer. I was like, you know, I don't know. Let me think about it. I appreciate, I mean, he's a good friend, so I appreciate him at least being honest with me and not sugarcoating it. Uh, but at the end of the day, my runs, when I post them, they're for me. They're to remember Mason. They're for me to remember that memory. And if people don't like it on my social media page, they don't have to look at it. They don't have to like it. They don't have to do anything, really. It's for me to remember Mason. Yeah. And uh, I think so... one of the key things, Chris, that people... <laughs> people need to understand is that we want to keep their memories alive because that's all we have. You have your child. You can create new memories. Right now, you can go do something and hug and kiss and love and experience something with your child. We can't. So we rely on those memories because if those memories go away, our child is completely gone. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great point. Like, to be honest, social media has helped in the sense that I'm very lucky that my wife and I posted a lot of pictures of our boys because <clears throat> every single day now I can look at the memories on social media and it just brings back the memories of stuff that happened. And if if I didn't have those memories, I, I probably wouldn't have all those my memory wouldn't be good enough to remember all those moments, no matter how good they were, because I just don't have a great memory. I don't know if anyone does really to remember eight years ago what you did on this day, you know, but because of technology and social media, I'm able to see like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, this happened that day. And it just brings back the flood of good memories. Now, some days are good, some days are bad and the pain that some days I don't have any pain. I'm like, yeah, that was a really fun day. Other days I have a lot of pain. Today was one of those days I saw the memory and I'm like, man, that was, it was the last time we went to the pumpkin patch with Mason and all the boys to pick out a, a Halloween pumpkin to carve, um, you know, because he passed away in May. So it was a harder one for me. Uh, it definitely brought some pain, but 
every time I have the pain, it, it, it subsides over time uh, throughout the day. And I'm glad I still have the memory because uh, I'm hoping in the future I'll just have the good memories. I won't, I won't think like how bad it sucks that he's not there. So, uh, and that's just how I deal with it. So. Yeah. And luckily my memories are good. Um, yeah, we, we had an amazing nine and a half years and Jameson had a great life and we were able to give him so much, but yeah, Facebook memories, it's, it's wonderful because it helps keep those memories alive and it stinks because we know that we're not going to be able to do recreate that. Uh, yeah. Our annual trip to pick apples our annual trip to the pumpkin farm, all that stuff. Uh, we can't have that. And then little things like the other day I had a Facebook memory that Amazon had shipped something Erica ordered that was super tiny, and it came in a box big enough to, for two pillows to fit in. And anybody that has kids knows that if you get a big box, the kids have a new fort. And we, and this was when we had just gotten Willow, our dog, and she was like 10 weeks, 12 weeks old. So there's the boys playing in the box, and there's the dog trying to find him in the box and all that. And the thing that stuck out is Jameson's giggle. And anybody that knows Jameson, you, if you've heard that giggle, you know exactly what giggle I'm talking about. And I'm thankful for Facebook memories because it keeps that giggle alive. And because I'm never going to hear that giggle again live. And video the other day was just him and his sweet, soft little voice. And anybody that knows Jameson, you can hear him talking in that voice. And you know, you just, it's like, yeah, that's him. And without Facebook memories, I wouldn't be hearing that voice, that sweet, soft, pure, innocent voice again. And... So yeah, I just we need we want those memories to stay because if they go too, we got nothing. Yeah, and I think for me they just help with the progression of the pain, you know, to to transition from the extremeness to um, you know, I don't want to say bearable is the word, but you know, like your friend said you're stable with it. You you you're able to get through the moments and um yeah, it's, they're important to me and I know they're important to you. So, um, moral of the story is in that sense, do what, do what feels right for you with this pain. Um, you know, if it feels right, some people may be critical of you or the way you're doing it, but if it feels right to you, then you shouldn't be ashamed about doing it. Do, do what feels right to you to get through that moment. I think that's a great way to put it, that for anybody listening that is going through grief, you will learn to be able to get through moments. They're not, they're not going to be easy, but the first year, year and a half, whatever it was, it literally is all my energy to how do I get through this moment right now? And year two, year three... I've learned now through the experience of going through all the firsts and 
all that that I now know how to get through most moments. And for the ones I don't, I'm prepared to just walk away and remove, which I guess is learning how to get through moments. I've learned who I can and can't talk with. I've learned who I can talk with, but I have to have a guard up to be able to remove myself quickly if it goes a different way. Um, holidays, everything, we can, we can get through the moments. Yeah, humans, were very adaptable people, even with our emotions and you know, this is an adaptation. You're, you're literally changing your life when you go through grief. And you have to learn to adapt to your new lifestyle, really. That's what it comes down to. It's a new, it's a whole new life. And uh, you'll, you'll figure out what works best for you. We all have as we've gone through this journey. And, uh, you know, just know that there are people that do care. Dan and I definitely care. can always reach out to us if you have no one else. Um but I find it best that, for me at least, is I go to the people I trust the most. Um, and it's usually easier for me, too, to go to the ones I trust the most that have gone through the grief process because they understand. And they're not going to say the right things. They're not going to say, well, let me say, they're not going to say, yeah, it's going to be okay because they know it's not going to be okay. Right, they're gonna say, "Hey, this sucks, but I'm here for you. I'm right next to you. You don't have to say anything. Whatever, we're here together. So, um, do what do what works best for you, for sure. F figure that out. Find that person or people you trust, and uh, help them, or let them help you. And I think that's another important piece too of progressing through the pain. Right, is you have to be willing to kind of open up about the pain you're going through." If I think it's easy, like Dan said, some people think like, oh, we're just doing fine. If you never let that out and you just always keep it behind a door, uh, people are going to eventually start to think that over time, unfortunately. So you have to be willing to open that door up and let people know, hey, I'm not doing okay. I, I do need I do need you to listen. And uh, it's worked for me, at least, in that sense. Yeah, I agree. And I worry very much that the people that do hold it in are going to be those people in 10 years, 20 years that can't identify any progress. And again, it's not that you're going to be healed and, and happy and everything's going to be great again, but at least you've taken steps. We are not in bed every day hysterical after a significant amount of time. Yeah. So, Dan, anything else you want to add for this episode? No, I think I've said everything. Um. Yeah, it's a hard topic. It's uh, it's not easy. It's um, it's going to be different for everyone. I think that's maybe what makes this topic so difficult as well. Uh, there'll be similarities, I think, as you hear the way Dan and I talk. Uh, even Dan and I, we have a lot of similarities, but we definitely have our differences, too. Uh, and and how we feel and how we've processed our grief, um, but I think that's important too. As you do your research, if you're if you're kind of if you're like me when I was going through grief, I was actually doing research on it and talking to a lot of people that have dealt with grief, and you'll eventually find somebody. In my opinion, again, this is just my opinion. You'll find somebody that's 
not 100% like you, but pretty close if you are looking for it. And then you can lean on that person because they'll really kind of understand. And I think that's why Dan and I get along so well is our grief isn't exactly the same, but it's pretty gosh darn close where we have a lot of same of similar feelings. And that's why we're able to connect in that sense. So, you know, seeing if you could find someone to help you with that um, might help, you know, go into a grief support group or there are a lot of ones on social media. But like Dan said, I would caution that don't go to too many of them, you know, pick one, try it out. If it seems to be helping you stay with it, if it's not leave it and try another one, don't do five, six, seven. I think that's what I did when Mason first passed. I was in like maybe six or seven different grief groups and it was too much. So, um, you know, find something that works for you though. Yeah. And understand too, that your resources will change over time. Uh, the groups that you're a member of, they might be great for the first six months and then you progress enough that it's no longer helpful. Move on. Find a group that fits whatever stage you're in at that moment. The people, your friends, I mean, just everything, it's going to change over time as you progress through the stages that, you know what, this person's been wonderful, but they're no longer able to really help support me and move me forward anymore so thank you you're still my friend but in terms of grief hey this person's now uh plugging plugging in some wisdom for me um i think books there's a zillion books out there you you grab them you start reading them and if you're not feeling it put it away um and even if you are feeling it there's going to be a lot of things that are helpful and a lot of things like nope that I'm gonna skip that section that's not helpful at all um, I grab I grab nuggets from everywhere I can I grab nuggets and I put the nuggets together in my life for what helps me oh, great way to, to end it so we really appreciate everyone listening to us today if you ever need anything by all means, reach out to us on our social media page. Um, you can info at jamesonsjoy.org. You can email Dan that way. Still working on the Miles for Mason one. I know I promised it a couple episodes ago. But Dan Dan got me some, some info today. So tomorrow I'm going to be making a phone call. Hopefully I'm going to be finding that lawyer really soon to uh, be setting up that nonprofit. And uh, just know you're not alone. Okay, the, This grief and this pain is going to be different for you. But you don't have to do this alone. Find someone that can help you, uh, and you're going to feel better in the long run. Any final words, Dan? You covered it. All right, everyone. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy day, and we look forward to doing our next episode, and hopefully you'll be jumping on. Thanks again for listening to A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache.